0: Thank you very much, Jimmy, and uh, thank you for the welcome and for the opportunity to come and bring an update of the, uh, the work of what's happening down there in Dublin. Uh, I was just saying to Dennis before, there must be 25, this is my 25th year of coming up to Ravenhill, and uh, a lot of uh, younger faces now. Of course, the faces always were young, uh, but uh, some so maybe not so young looking anymore. But we, we praise God for what he continues to do down there in Dublin. But first, I just wanted to share something from my heart. Um, a question for you, is there really any hope in this dark world? Uh, we've started, uh, we've planted a new church down in the, uh, the city of Dublin, down in a, a big house in the state of 30,000 people. And uh, we meet on a Sunday afternoon, half three. So as you're having your community barbecue, think of us. Half three Sunday afternoon, and a foundational couple in in that uh, little church, a couple of kids, they were there last Sunday, Uh, one of the children, a little boy, 10 years old, lovely little guy, you can't help but love him, he's just fantastic, Uh, one of those cheeky little boys, but he's very loving, very kind, but very full of mischief, I've seen a couple there, (laughs) just exactly the same, You just can't help but love them. And uh, by evening time, he's just not himself. And uh, he's listless. And he's running a high temperature. And then he starts to hallucinate. And they bring him to the hospital and they admit him. And by Tuesday, I get a phone call. uh, uh, And it's distressing distressing news, devastating news. And I don't mind telling you, I I wept uh, on the phone with with the dad when he phoned me. Uh, Viral infection, they're treating that. But a tumor in the brain, and it doesn't look good. A lot more tests to be done. And as I say, I just wept. Such a shock. And I was preparing for coming here, and it, it took me to a, a, a place. You know, sometimes just deep down in your hearts, it took me to a place. And I started thinking, is there really any hope in this dark world? When you think of the changes there have been, even in my lifetime, the changes in our society. Uh, or society's attitude to sexuality, homosexuality, same-sex marriage and, and abortion and, or, or, or attitude to, to suicide even uh, and uh, discussions now on assisted suicide uh, and the big hot potato in Dublin. I mean, I'm sure it's here in Belfast, it's bound to be everywhere, but gender identity. Gone are the days when there was just male and female, man and woman. Now there are people identifying with over 100 genders. Uh, And then we have so much more. We have a pandemic that hits us. You, You think of society in general. The prevalence of drugs and drug addiction. I could take up our whole time telling you stories of of lives destroyed with drugs and three generations of one family all drug addicts and I'm sure if you get a Christian work from the streets of Belfast you get exactly the same stories but from a Belfast context prevalence of drugs every town and village in the country if you want them you can go and buy them no matter where you are prevalence of drugs society has changed so much is there really any hope in our world today. Uh, and what whatever happened to the Protestant work ethic? Some people might even ask, what is that? The Protestant work ethic. And what, what happened to honesty and integrity among our public officials or even in our own relationships? What happened to kindness and patience? And whatever happened to respect for our elders? We've got to a stage in our society, uh, uh, well, I'm sure it's in Belfast as it is in Dublin. Where older folk are scared in their own home. Don't want to open the door at night time just in case. And it's not just a knock on the door. Think of, of the internet. And, and, and people grooming children. And people there we in Is there really any hope in this dark world today? And as I was preparing to come, the words of Paul in Ephesus came to me. The words of Paul, when in chapter 2 he tells the Ephesians, Remember, therefore that you who are Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. But now, In Christ Jesus. You who were once far away. Have been brought near. By the blood of Jesus. You see there is the hope. There is the light in the darkness. In this dark world in which we live. Whether it's Belfast or Dublin. Or any place in the country. In this darkness a light has shone. There is hope. And it's in the blood of Jesus. There is no other. To whom we can go. For hope if not in this life then certainly for the next and you know it's that message of hope that we bring to the people of Dublin we are Dublin family outreach and our mission is to bring together groups of people in their own community to worship the true and living God in a way that's faithful to this scripture but also to their class and their culture while reaching out to their own community the big housing estates that we reach out in, there's no point in saying uh, what we're having a meeting at 11 o'clock and expecting them to be there at 11 o'clock. You see, in Dublin, when you say something starts at 11 o'clock, what that means in their society and in their culture is you leave home at 11 o'clock and the meeting starts when you all get there. Because how can you start the meeting if we're not there? We have to be there to have the meeting. See, it's their class and their culture. And we praise God, it's what, a year, June last year, I was here with you. So we've had two lots of summer camps in between June last year and August this year. We'll come back to camps in a wee minute. Because in that year, we've continued uh, to build relationships of trust. We have the family uh, food distribution and clothing and, uh, and furniture. If we have it and they need it or they need it and then we can get it, uh, we'll pass it on to them. Uh, We might have a team come, maybe renovate a garden, or or, uh, do some work in a house somewhere. Uh, All sorts of social outreach, if you will. But you know, unless we're telling people about that blood of Christ, unless we are speaking the word of God, we're only telling half the story. It's great to do all those social things, and we should. It's the call of the gospel. It's the command of Christ. But if we only do those things, it's only half the story. And so we invite people to come to what Family Fellowship now does. Family Fellowship will have women's study a men's study. Uh, we have our life study on a Wednesday evening. Uh, we don't call it the Bible study, because these folks aren't from a background of studying the Bible the way you were maybe raised doing. Uh, and so we don't want them to get into the habit of thinking, oh, we're just studying a book. And the word's in a book. And when it's finished, we close the book. And we go home and that's it. The whole purpose of studying the Bible, surely, is to apply it to our lives. Therefore, we do life study. We look at our lives through the lens of the Bible. To see if there's something in the Bible that says I need to change in my life. It's about transformation and about change. And, and that little group of people started off with a dozen uh, a year past in September, a dozen people and myself, I thought, now there's a good sort of biblical familiar sounding 12 and 1 type of a ratio thing going on there. That was really pleasing and encouraging and over, over th- that length of time now, th- the number has doubled and uh, there's another dozen or so people coming along uh, to, to that little group and, and it really encourages me to be involved in that, to see the spiritual growth and to see the deepening for prayer among that group, but to see them as well, stepping forward in positions of leadership, looking to see how the Lord wants them to most effectively reach out to their own community and to the communities beyond. How can they be doing it? And they are doing it already. They're inviting family and friends along to the little group. That's how it's growing. They are doing the growth. They're involved in that. And then secondly, the camps in the summer. See, many of these folks have come to us through the camps in the summer. And this is such a fantastic opportunity. I heard the words, small groups. Fantastic opportunity to go on a mission trip together as a small group. What a fantastic opportunity. Now we have groups come from California. We have groups come from Pennsylvania, from New York, from Texas. How about Adam Belfast? Uh, a small group from Belfast, from Ravenhill to come, and help on the couple of weeks of camp in the summer. It's family camp, so bring the family as well. Bring the kids. You don't even have to leave the kids at home. Or maybe that's what you're wanting to do. <laughs> no, I'm not. Well, bring them, leave them, it's up to you. We have opportunity for you to come serve in the summertime. Fantastic times. Over 150 people on the two weeks of family camps. We, because they're inviting friends to come on camp, there's continuously a waiting list of families wanting to come. And we praise God for that growth and that multiplication happening through they themselves. They are praying, Lord, how can we most effectively reach out in our community? It's important to be doing that in prayer. Important that it starts in prayer and grows in prayer and goes on in prayer. But you know, that's not all. Uh, the, the work we do, and we'll, we'll be having a, a men's weekend or father and son weekend or a women's conference. And it's an always fantastic men. Men just have a, a men's weekend. Women have to have a women's conference. And it has to be called something. It just can't be the men's weekend or just the woman's weekend. It has to be woo! And uh, have a real wonderful name and, and theme and, and uh, all the colours have to coordinate and etc. We're just different, but we love everybody. We have all these things that happen, the camps, and and people come down to Drewstown House. That's where we do all of this ministry, Drewstown House. It's in Kells in County Meath, not Kells, Ballymena. And uh, we praise God uh, that over the past couple of years, Drewstown House is a place with no people. We are a people with no place. There's nowhere called... Dublin family outreach you go to the building and there it is it's not like Ravenhill Presbyterian Church you can go to the building and find it we have no place but now we are merging so much of our ministry happens there they said hey how about we just get together and become one group so we need you to be praying we need you to be praying please a good number of you you get our quarterly newsletter comes out now you can get the paper one if you wish uh, we, we prefer if you get the email one uh, fill in the postal address and the email address uh, do please remember I'm in Dublin 35 years but I'm from Ballymena I don't want to be paying for stamps <laughs> email is much cheaper and efficient but if you prefer the printed one with your cup of coffee that's alright I'll post it to you I'll pay the postman to bring this to your door and drop it through your letterbox. There's it's a fun way of asking for a serious thing Will you please be praying for us? Future vision. That vision that we have at the minute that is just Dublin is exploding into a vision for Ireland. And and, and that's the exciting and scary thing. Isn't it funny how something can be exciting and scary at the same time? It was was manageable when it was just Dublin. But now we're in a place that can be a centre for church planting for the whole of Ireland. And we need to be praying about that. There's so much work that needs to be done at Drewstown House. Again, if there's a group of men and women who want to come and volunteer just to build stuff or paint something, well, there's plenty of opportunity. But we need your prayers for the spiritual impact of this merge with ourselves and Drewstown House, of the impact that will be. Ireland remains. The country with the designation of being, of having... The lowest percentage of believers. I'll say that again. The lowest percentage of believers. For any English speaking nation. In the world. That's on this piece of land. 100 miles down the road. There isn't church after church. There was three churches we spoke about there. uh, Mount Pottinger and McQuiston. Within a mile. And I'm sure many Baptists and Methodists and many others, Dublin's not like that. 1.6% of the population. We now have a higher population of Muslims than we have of believers. Would you please continue to pray for the work of Dublin Family Outreach.
1: Billy, thank you, and folks, you'll be able to get a a conversation, a quick chat, a quick word with Billy afterwards if you want to know anything more about that. You've asked us to pray, let's do exactly that, so let's pray together. Father, we just thank you. Uh, We thank you even very simply for Billy's passion and love for for Jesus, which is so evident and so clear uh, and is so infectious as well, no doubt. We thank you that you you have called this man to this work uh, and you no doubt have used him over those many years down in, in the Dublin area to do wonderful things, Father, for your kingdom and for your church. And we just pray that, uh, as Billy has asked us to pray, that, that the future would be, uh, well, would be more of the same, quite simply, Lord. We pray that there would be further inroads into the lives of, of the people that he is working alongside. He, he mentioned all those difficulties, uh, the, the state of our world at the minute. He mentioned the, the difficulties that we see in society. But he also mentioned those real personal uh, things that people are struggling with. The addiction to, to drugs or alcohol or whatever the case might be. And yet he also mentioned the, the gospel, the message about Jesus Christ dying on the cross to rescue us from our sin. And so we pray, Lord, that, that Billy and all his volunteers and the team who are down there, that they would be empowered with this message to go and actually transform the lives of all these people they come across. Father, we know that it it is your work. It is your spirit who moves in people's hearts to open blind eyes to the truth of the gospel. And so we pray, Lord, that Billy would have the joy of seeing more and more people come to Christ. It's astonishing when we think of Ireland as being uh, one of the least evangelized English-speaking countries in the world. It's incredible. Lord, what a challenge it is uh, and what a ground there is there for, for people like Billy and others to, to lay and plant all these seeds. Lord, we pray that you would be going before them in all that they do. We thank you for all these ministries they have, the men's ministry, the women's ministry, uh, working with ad, uh, addicts in the area. We think of the summer camps and everything else that's gone on there. Lord, pour out your blessing upon them, we pray. May Jesus' name be glorified in all these different ministries uh, and may they have the joy of seeing people's lives transformed. And just finally, we think about that big vision that that Billy was talking about. That's a big, big thing to start thinking not just about the Dublin area because that's already big enough uh, in our minds, but, but rather to think even about the entire nation. Lord, may you expand that vision. May you give them the confidence and the courage to follow your will wherever it leads. But we simply pray now that that you would reveal your will to them, to Billy and the leadership that are involved there. Make it clear the direction they need to go, Father, and give them the courage to follow in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for this man, the servant that he is, and how you've touched and transformed his life so that he then can show off that grace that only you can give to others. Lord, equip him with everything that he needs to lead. And we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Folks, why don't you grab a a Bible there from the seats around you and turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Uh, We're going to spend just a very short time this morning reflecting on this, uh, what is a deeply challenging passage, Uh, and it's yet another familiar parable to us, the parable of the unforgiving servant. So we're going to read from God's Word here. Matthew 18, we're going to begin at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Amen. We thank God for his word. Folks, we're gonna look at this very briefly this morning here, and I wanna just show three really important things we can learn from, from what is a brand, what is a very familiar, but also a really deeply challenging parable. We, we saw this earlier with the children. <coughs> this, this passage begins with Peter coming to Jesus. And essentially, he's asking him, how often, how many times should I forgive someone who has wronged me? And folks, let's face it. You know, this is something that we've all wrestled with at one point or another. We all, I'm sure, have some kind of understanding of this sort of question. Maybe we've been let down by a friend, a supposed friend, repeatedly, again and again. Or maybe we have that relative who always seems to demand so much of us and yet doesn't really seem to have the time of day for for us. Or maybe you've had experiences in work, you know, that that manager who was always demanding far too much from you and rarely giving you anything in return, maybe even a a small word of encouragement, no. Folks, whatever the case, how many times do we have to put up with this? Or at what point is the error so severe that our forgiveness just kind of dries up a little bit? We saw with the kids earlier, and and in that verse in the NIV, it says 77 times, but in the updated, it says 70 times seven, which is 490. You know, the point is clear here. We're to forgive a lot. We're to forgive a lot. And as Jesus does, on so many occasions he tells this brilliant story to illustrate his point. And actually what we have here, just to be clear, unless we miss this, Jesus paints a truly absurd picture here. We have this king who's wanting really to balance the books, so to speak. So it turns out then that one of his servants, he owes him a ridiculous amount of money. We're told it's 10,000 talents or 10,000 bags of gold. Now, to understand what that is, so a ta- one talent was worth 20 years wages to the kind of everyday laborer. So one talent, 20 years wages. So this guy owes 10,000 talents. So that's 200,000 years of wages. 200,000 years of wages he owes back to this king. This is an absurd story that Jesus is telling. But we've got to consider then, why is that the case? Why is Jesus making this debt so fantastically large? Well, it's because of what comes in verse 26, is it not? The man at the prospect of he and his family becoming slaves he kneels before the king and he begs the king, you can picture the scene, can't you? He begs the king to have patience, have patience with me. And remarkably, this king, not only does he show patience, he shows an immense amount of grace because he just wipes the whole debt clear. Folks, make no mistake here, this is a picture of how our Father in heaven forgives our sin. So, despite the enormity of our sin, despite the ridiculous volume of it in our hearts, the Lord forgives. So, 1 John 1 says, we know this, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all, all unrighteousness. And notice here that the king doesn't make the man pay it off. He doesn't like, you know, set up a a payment plan and talk about interest rates and what you need to owe on top of the amount. He doesn't negotiate a time frame. He just erases the entire debt. And so it is with our Father in heaven. This God does not make us work to earn his mercy. Ephesians 2 says, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourselves, Paul says. Rather, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You know, folks, the gospel is not that we are drowning in like a lake of our own sin. And Jesus then, thankfully, appears at the side on the shore and he gets the life ring and he throws it out to us. And we're in there and we're grabbing on and we're swimming like mad to the shore and we collapse on the beach. That's not the picture of the gospel at all. Rather, the gospel picture is that we have already drowned in that lake of our sin, and there's nothing we can do about it. And thankfully then, Jesus appears, and he swims out, and he grabs our lifeless, helpless body, and he drags us ashore with all of his strength, none of ours, and he gives us like CPR to bring us back to life, and when he does that, he then collapses dead on the shore in our place. That's the picture of the gospel message. The debt that is paid for us by Christ is staggering. The enormity of our sin, folks, it cannot be calculated. And so the enormity of God's grace is beyond what we can even imagine. That's the first point. Despite the magnitude of our sin, the Father's forgiveness is just unending. Secondly then, these get shorter, don't worry as we go, Jesus reveals that we've got to do something. We've got to ask for that forgiveness. Because the servant, he's on his knees, isn't he? He's on his knees before the king, and so he is aware then of his debt. He's aware of the scale of this debt. He's also aware that he's got to pay because his family and himself, they're about to be slaves, and all his earthly possessions are about to be sold to cover the cost. Now, he knows he can't pay. This is too big to pay, So what does he do? He does what any person would do. He just drops to his knees. He's reduced to rubble before this king. He begs, he grovels, and he asks for mercy. Folks, so it is with the truly Christian heart. We're aware of the sin that's here. We're aware of the enormity of it. Psalm 51, amazing psalm. It's credited to David after everything that happened with Bathsheba and then murdering her husband, Uriah, thinking he'd got away with it, covering it all up. He cries out, have mercy on me, O God. He cries, wash away all my iniquity. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. He even says, surely I was sinful at birth. Folks, for every Christian, there's a moment of awakening in our lives when the Holy Spirit, we might say, convicts us of our sin. So that is to say, we become aware that Sin is not just a couple of bad things that we've done today or yesterday or last week or last year or when we were younger, but actually it's a whole lifelong rebellion. It's a lifelong rebellion against the Lord God Almighty. And it is a debt that we cannot ever repay. We cannot And so we're moved to do one thing and one thing alone, and that is to fall on our knees before the holy Lord God Almighty, and we beg for his mercy. Just like the prodigal son, we come to that father figure with a repentant heart, ready to say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. But also, hear this, Also, just like the prodigal son, we're not met by a harsh, judgmental word. Rather, we're met with a loving embrace. It's arms wide open. As the father in that story, he's standing waiting. He's longing for his child to return. Folks, this God, he wipes clean those debts. Why? How? It's only because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. So 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him, not in ourselves, in him we might become the righteousness of God. Folks, we claim the forgiveness that the Father offers as we put our total trust in Jesus. Jesus that's the only way. That's why Jesus can make this really exclusive claim in John 14 that renders all other religions, all other faith systems, all other philosophies totally void. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Very quickly, very finally, third point for us this morning. And this is really the challenge in terms of how we live our lives in light of this. Because what does the servant do in the parable? After being so graciously, so lovingly, so mercifully forgiven of his debt, he then goes out and he does the opposite, doesn't he? He's unwilling to forgive his own servant's debt. And that debt was tiny. In comparison, it was roughly about a day's wage. Remember, his debt to the king was 200,000 years wages, and he couldn't forgive one single day. His heart was hardened towards his brother, wasn't it? And really, this challenge comes in at the end. Jesus warns that a hardened heart is not a truly repentant heart the life of a true believer, someone who loves the Lord, who sees Jesus as Savior and Lord, ought to be marked then with an outpouring of this love, this mercy, this grace that comes down from above to us and then out towards others. Folks, our hearts are forever changed. We're transformed by this gospel truth about Jesus, what he has done for us, the mercy that God has shown us. And so we are then freed to forgive others of much smaller debts than ours because God has cleared our huge debt. We're free to love others, to show mercy to others, even when it seems impossible, even when they maybe don't deserve it. We do it because, well, First John four says, "We love because God first loved us. Let's pray. Father God, we're, we're bowled over by your mercy, by your grace. Lord, we thank you that as we come to you with open hearts ready for you to search. You, yes, see all of that sin and mess. You know it fully. And yet you don't bring a harsh word against us. We come on our knees before you, begging for patience and mercy. And you take that debt that we owe and you wipe it clean. Father, we thank you for the gospel. The truth that Jesus has died in our place. The truth that Jesus has rescued us from all this sin. The truth that we don't need to carry the sin, the shame, the guilt with us one moment longer because you've cleared it all. Lord God, you are merciful beyond what we can fathom. And so we say sorry once again for our sin. And Lord, we pray that you help us and equip us to live our lives in light of that grace, that we might be so transformed to live for Christ, to show this love that you filled us up with, to show it to others, Lord. Help us as we seek to forgive people who have wronged us. Give us patience, give us courage, Lord, we pray. Transform our lives.